Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the best films of 2021 so far. Uh, we've made it past June. Uh, we're in July right now, actually. So we are past the midway mark. And I think we can safely say, <laughs> what are the best movies of the year so far? You know, uh, with, the, with a small caveat that we have talked about some incredible films in previous episodes of uh, Genre Equality, for example. Mm-hmm. You know? So the movies that we're talking here, are movies that we have not mentioned yet, so that we've not talked about at all. Um, of course, previously we've mentioned uh, and reviewed at length films like uh, Saint Maud, uh, The Mitchells versus the Machines, uh, yep. stuff such as that. You know, which I would rank in my top ten. Uh, but you know, so this is all fresh, la. Like you, you uh, we have not talked about this before. Um, we'll be talking about The Father, uh, Minari. Uh, another round, which is the Danish film starring Hannibal himself, uh, Matt Mikkelsen, <laughs> uh, and uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, this is a, a very like front loaded, front loaded film centric episode where the films have a lot of like awards attention. Um, yeah. a lot of people know about these movies, right? Uh, we're going to compensate for that in our next episode where we'll talk about the hidden gems of the year. Mm-hmm. But I think like these movies need to be like front and center because they've received all this recognition for a reason. It's it's much deserved. Oh uh, yeah, all, totally agree. All, all four of these movies are, are incredible. Um, and, and and before we get into the reviews for all four of them, right? Like, wh- which would you say is is your favorite film of the four? Uh, I think I think Minari has to be it. Like, it's a very tough fight between the father and Minari. Mm. Uh, but Minari for me was a more enjoyable watch like there were kind of like these tender moments uh, mm-hmm. in particular that we'll, we'll get into later that that really really kind of caught me like The Father is brilliant in so many ways right mm. it's just like a master class of like these acting titans just kind of like smashing it um, all throughout the entire thing but uh, you know it's not it's not an easy watch in that sense right uh, oh yeah. Um, it is it is uncomfortable and, and heartbreaking. Well, kind of like almost all the films are heartbreaking in their own sort of way. But mm. uh, but yeah, for me, it definitely I think Minari definitely stands out. Um, mm. Yeah, so I don't understand this like whole, you know, fifty percent is not in English thing that that pushed it to best foreign film, and it's just like. Oh, that was just a Golden Globes thing. Yeah, but still, you know, yeah. like it's it's so ridiculous because like you don't. It's it's about as American as it can get, right? As far as the movie goes, um, but yeah, it's made by an American studio, A twenty four. Yeah, it's uh, played entirely by okay. Besides the grandmother, like, uh, uh, Korean American actors. Yeah. It's set in America, like hundred percent of the movie is in America, right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't get it. It's not a foreign film. It's not for, foreign for Americans. Yeah, yeah, not not yeah. in the least bit. So that's just puzzling to me. Uh, but like, I'm I'm glad that it it showed really really well. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the festival circuit, and you got the recognition it deserved. Uh, yeah, but definitely stand up for me. I I think it's just something to do with like being able to, uh, um, just being familiar, right, with like the whole like Asian family kind of like dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously not specific to me, right, because I'm not Korean. No, no I'm yep. living in America, but you know, there's just so many kind of like touchstones there. Mm-hmm. Um, that just make it a really kind of like endearing film that makes you very invested. 
Uh, yes, yes, you know, there are moments of warmth uh, and, and light in uh, Minari that is not entirely present in the first film that we'll be talking about, which yep. is The Father. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I said that The Father is a difficult watch or a challenging watch is because of film or a narrative about dementia or Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, it really should not be an easy watch. You know? No, no, it's, no, it's, of course not. It's one of uh, my personal greatest nightmares, you know. Um, not not forgetting yourself, uh, losing yeah. one's identity, you know. Um, and this film stars Anthony Hopkins, who plays a character called Anthony, uh, who is eighty years old. He is mischievous. He's uh, living defiantly alone, and rejecting the care or caregivers that his daughter Anne um, encourage encouragingly introduces to him, you know. Yeah. Um, yet help is also becoming a necessity for Anne who is uh, Anthony's daughter, uh, because she can't make daily visits anymore and mm-hmm. Anthony's grip on reality due to his uh, dementia, uh, his mental condition, is unraveling, is deteriorating. Um, and, and we are put into the perspective of Anthony as we experience the ebbs and flows of his memory, uh, how much his own identity and past can Anthony cling to? Um, yeah. And we as an audience member are not sure what is real and what is not either, what is present, what is past, what is future, you know? Um, so the, the, the film is, is about how how does Anne cope as she grieves with the loss of her father while, his, while he still lives and breathes before her. But it's also about, you know, the father himself. You know, how does he process all of this when he can't even get the, uh, the timelines correct, you know what I mean? Um, incredibly difficult uh, feature to watch. Uh, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, mm-hmm. painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, masterclass acting by uh, Oscar winners uh, Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. Yeah. Uh, both of them deliver another Oscar-winning turn, you know. And 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 Anthony Hopkins fully deserves his Oscar this year. Absolutely. For the, for the father, you know, it's it's a film full of intelligent performances, uh, disorienting time slips, and powerful theatrical effects. Uh, which is interesting because this film was actually based off a play. Um. And unlike a lot of the other movies based on a play, right, mm-hmm. that are set inside, you know, a, a single house or a single location, I mean, it does feel play to, to a sense. Yeah. But because of the visual trickery from its director, you know, the, the way you slip in and out of uh, of of time, the how faces change and, and things like that, the confusion of it, mm-hmm. it feels more cinematic than other uh, play adaptations. Yeah. Uh, to to its benefit, lah, you know. Um, great, great uh, film overall. This is my personal uh, favorite of, of the year so far. Not, not to dismiss um, the other films that we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, and and it, some of you may be wondering like why like Nomadland is not here. We've already talked about Nomadland. And <laughs> Nomadland think, yes. is yeah, also technically a film that was released last year. Yeah. So that doesn't quite count, you know. Um, you've seen uh, The Father quite recently, actually. Uh, yeah. What do you think about it? Um... First of all, can I say, right, I was so surprised mm. to find out that, that Zeller is Zeller's first movie. Mm. Uh, because he's very deft at, at, at you know, the, the kind of storytelling that he wants to do on screen, which is surprising considering that's not his main, uh, like his mainstay, like kind of creative output. Um, he's a playwright, right? Yeah, he's a playwright. So I yeah. to find out, you know, that, you know, at the first, first round, like he gets something like The Father out. He was working with some of these amazing kind of actors. And, you know, just some of the visual flourishes and, and creative decisions uh, in, in the way that the narrative unfolds in, in more senses than one um, was, was really, really surprising. I uh, totally, totally understand why Hopkins deserved to, uh, to win 
Mm-hmm. Um, it is insane that at his age, he's what, 80-ish now? Like Anthony Hopkins is 80-ish now, 83 or something like that. Correct. Um, yeah. And he has like such a storied, stacked Co- career, right? Like mm-hmm. some of the most iconic roles in, in cinema, in modern cinema history, you know, has been played by him. Hey, uh, I, I didn't realize that like um, two Hannibals are in our episode this this week. Oh yeah, uh, Anthony, Anthony Hopkins and Matt Smilkelson both delivering great performances. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, yeah, Hannibal. Yeah, uh, we should have an episode on Hannibal. Okay, anyway, we'll get back to that another time. Uh, but yeah, like someone who who has played so many like kind of iconic characters and all of that, but he completely disappears into this role. Uh, you know, at no point in time do you. Do you feel like he's acting, right? Like yeah. it, it comes off completely natural. Like he, the 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 totality of his performance is hidden behind a very very uh, convincing, um, just a, just convincing kind of like portrayal of 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 mm. a man that's kind of like uh, losing it. Right in his own head, and he's too proud to kind of come to terms to that. But you know, as the film goes along, he 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 kind of realizes, right? Like there's no point in in, mm-hmm. in struggling, or there's no point in even trying to explain where he's at, just because he's he he feels so lost. And like some of the lines, right? He delivers like I I couldn't like I I started like I burst into tears actually when when we get to the end, mm-hmm. and he, just that one line, I'm losing all my leaves. Mm-hmm. I was I lost it like damn you know just that that last couple of closing minutes um is one of the most like heart wrenching things I have seen in a while yeah uh, for sure yeah yeah you know like what's so deeply scary about the father is that you know without obvious first person camera trickery right it puts yeah. us into Anthony's head you know we see and don't see what he sees and doesn't see we are cleverly invited to assume that certain passages of dialogue are happening in reality and then they, sh- they are shown that they aren't. Um, we experience with Anthony, step by step, what appears to be the incremental deterioration of his condition. Yeah. You know, the disorienting time slips, the time loops. People morph into other people. Uh, situations get uh, elided or eluded. Um, the apartment's furniture seems suddenly and bewilderingly uh, to change. Uh, there's a scene which you know he had uh, appeared to follow the pre that appears to follow the previous one sequentially. You know, mm-hmm. it turns out to be preceded. You know, to, to yeah. be the one before it. You know, uh, or you know, like it's to be in Anthony's delusion or of his memory or his the duration of his memory is something else. Yeah. Um, and, and new people he doesn't recognize. You know, uh, like played by Mark Gattis or Olivia <laughs> Williams, keep um appearing in his apartment and responding to him with that you know same sweet smile of patience. Yeah. When he asks what's what they are doing there, mm-hmm. like the, it, it feels like the universe is gaslighting, gaslighting us, gaslighting Anthony. You know, yeah. with these people, although it, that's clearly not the case. You know. Um, and, and, and you're right, you know, Hopkins' final speech to um, uh, Williams is the one that reduced me to to blubbering mess, you know, like, yeah. I, like I cried as well, you know. Uh, but the most subtly poignant moments are those in which Anthony, you know, will laugh, you know, there is a, like flashes <laughs> of flashes of his old roguish, charming self. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, Anne and his carer will like supportively uh, laugh along with him. 
Um, and to some degree, it's like a nervous laughter because Ed knows just how easily his mood or his mental state can turn. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like mostly tragic because you see like a man of that stature and that charm, you know, so self-possessed, so confident, so so larger than life, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, it, that's gone from him, you know. Like he used to be so charming and he's not anymore. He used to be so smart and, and so witty and he's not anymore. Uh, it's 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 tragic, uh, and and there's little that you can do besides cry in those moments. Uh, even though, uh, it's it's sometimes funny, but also mostly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah, I mean it's it's wonderfully uncomfortable. That's what I can say about this film. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's a tough watch, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, especially I think if you're going in expecting something linear. Right, as an audience, it it's hard to kind of like keep track of what's going on. But again, that's like the brilliance of it. That's the whole kind of point. Yeah, um, I, I will say though, since we we brought up kind of like Mark Gattis, uh, when he came on screen, it took me out for a moment. I was like, oh my god, it's Mycroft. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and like that, just that voice, right? And then the way that he speaks, it's just mm-hmm. so indicative of that. But yeah, that took me out for a moment when he first first appears as not Paul. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, I I think it is. Uh, I I think we've done a number of 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 films here and there, you know, with regards to like, uh, deteriorating mental illness. Um, mm-hmm. the father is probably the first I've seen that mm-hmm. does it so deftly, right? Mm-hmm. And in a way that is not played up for dramatic, um, results, right? Like it really feels like you know, um, you are part of his experience within his own head as it mm-hmm. kind of unravels over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's just like, yeah, it, it it is so, it feels important, right? There is a weight to it uh, that you are culpable of um, together with him, right? Uh, as uh, as an audience member, uh, just because of the, 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 the kind of twists and turns in the narrative, right? Like you're you're caught up in that as well. So every yeah. bit of confusion is his as much as your own. Every bit of loss that you feel, um, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of who he may have been, because we we don't know that exactly, right? Like the flashes that you were talking about, um, yeah. you know, feels right. Um, there, there's loss there, right? There's there's an emptiness there or an absence there that you you want to see more of, but you know it's never going to be, right? Because uh, even he like is, is resigned to that uh, at some point in time in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just that crazy. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about Anthony Hopkins and, you know, um, no doubt, um, still, at his age, right? So is, is this his second Academy Award? Uh, it's surprising that like, he should have like 20 by now, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. he's the oldest, uh, oldest recipient at, at, um uh, as of as of the father, uh, mm-hmm. but o- Olivia Coleman is like I'm such a huge fan. She's so good in everything that she does. It's so crazy, mm-hmm. um, you know. Like just the just having her there and 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 just having her on screen to kind of like play off all of these like very mercurial moments by by Hopkins. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a joy. It's a joy to watch um, two amazing uh, actors at at you know, kind of like height of their powers, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of going at it in, in such a, like, it feels effortless, right? Um, which is which is kind of mind-blowing when you try and wrap your head around the things that you're actually trying to to to, to understand, right? As the mm-hmm. narrative unfolds. Yeah. So, yeah. so good. Um, it almost makes you like a bit 
uh, angry at Westwall for like not using Anthony Hopkins properly. You know? Oh like, yeah. He was such like I mean he was cool like, He's a cool character in Westworld. Don't get me wrong. It's just yeah. That, you know he 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 clearly he like he phones it in there. It's still an amazing performance, but they don't mm-hmm. require as much of him as he could deliver. Yeah. yeah. You know? But they needed. They just needed the gravitas, right? Like he comes mm-hmm. with with the Anthony Hopkins package, and you, they didn't need more than that, which is very yeah. very sad, right? Uh, you know you can you can point to that. You can point to him in like the MCU as as Odin as well. That's true, yeah. That's uh, right, yeah. Which, which I think is even more problematic, right? Like, given mm-hmm. just how, in a, how, how amazing he is in almost anything he's seen, mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 kind of nuts, right? Like, I I remember watching some of his films when he was really really young. Some of the Shakespeare stuff that he was doing, yeah. um, his his version of Othello, the reverse Othello, mm-hmm. um, that was like. Like completely, I was completely enraptured by that, and it, it's it's nuts. It's it's really nuts to kind of see like a man who has kind of dedicated his entire life to 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 cin- cinema and the stage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to see such a incredible, convincing, believable performance, sometimes you just like I I couldn't shake. Oh, and the fact that they're both called Anthony, right? Yeah. Um, like he is the. Uh, you know, um, they share the same name and all that. Like there are moments in time that you know, I I just felt like, oh shit, I really hope that he doesn't go that way. Yeah. Uh, and and I know it's all me and it's all like kind of a, a in in my head. But like, mm-hmm. damn, that would be a sad way to go. Uh, yeah. For a man of his stature. Yeah, you know, like the big difference between a lot of this and like the dimension narratives that we've previously um talked about, like say in BoJack Horseman yeah. or in um. Uh, um, what was that called? Castle Rock mm. and um, um, uh, uh, the relic. Uh, the the big difference is that that there isn't that genre element that you yeah. can kind of distance yourself with. Yeah. Um, it feels almost like too real, uh, which is kind of the point of the film. Uh. Um, and I think like it, it has you know it sneakily utilizes like great production design and oh, yeah. like and one thing that's like a lot of people don't mention is like how uncannily good the editing is, which mm. is key to the film as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like how the editing puts you into puts the viewer into the same state of distress as this main character. And and Florian Zeller, as you mentioned, you know, in adapting his own play, uh, has carried over this intimate quality of a staged chamber drama. Uh, not to just show a man dealing with dementia, but also offer a way into his mind with, you know, haunting, deep, deeply affecting, uh, and, and a very memorable narrative, uh, as well as showcasing, you know, the pain of the people around him and his daughters and his carers as well, uh, are not forgotten. Yeah. Uh, one of the best films of the year, one of the best performances of the year. Um, I know there was a bit of heat on Anthony Hopkins, Kids, because um, a lot of people assume Chadwick Boseman being, you know, you know, uh, would get a posthumous uh, Oscar for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah. Uh, but like, I mean, to be like really honest, uh, Anthony Hopkins like objectively delivered a better performance than Boseman's final performance. So yeah, I, I agree. Mean, I, yeah. I mean, I really liked um, Ma Rainey's, but like, this is this is hard. This is hard to beat, right? Like, honestly, I was just taking a look at all, everything that was nominated, right? Uh, within within the Best Actor category. Like, it's head and shoulders, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. Not not to, you know, not to put down any of the other nominees, but damn, like, yeah. it's very, very hard to beat. Anthony yeah. Hopkins at, at you know, it, it's crazy to be 83 and be at the peak of your powers, right? Like, it's insane. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, this performance would have won any other year, including this year. Yeah. For uh, sure. So yeah. Um, kudos to Anthony Hopkins, Olivia Coleman, Florence Zeller for a great, great movie uh, based off his play. Uh, one, one, one of my favorites. Uh, then now we'll go into Isa's favorite of the year so far, which is Minari, mm-hmm. uh, which is a tender and sweeping story about family and what roots us. Uh, it follows a Korean American family that moves, uh, into a tiny Arkansas farm in search of their own American dream. Yeah. Um, the family home changes completely with the arrival of the sly, uh, firecracker, foul-mouthed, uh, incredibly loving grandmother as well, <laughs> uh, who, who kind of steals the film, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, amidst the instability and challenges of this rugged new life in the Ozarks, uh, Minari shows the, the undeniable resilience of family and what it takes to make a home. It's a very universal story, despite it being rooted in Korean-American culture mm-hmm. or Korean culture in, in general. Uh, and writer-director Lee Isaac Chung, in tackling this interpersonal drama uh, about the American dream in the d- deep south, yeah. uh, really tunnels deep into his own um, past and his own upbringing, uh, which is what makes this film so authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you love most about Minari? Oh, man. Um... Uh, Yoon Yoo Jun's performance made me miss my grandmother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, she really did make me miss my grandmother. Um, it, it's kind of crazy to to see that. I, I think out of everyone, you know, I, I, if we're going to make comparisons, right, like the acting here isn't as stellar, right, as, as the mm-hmm. father, you know, but they they were performances that were believable and they were performances that the movie sorely needed. Uh, and yep. it fit in a way that just felt natural um, to to what what the story was telling, right? Uh, mm. I mean, like Yoon and, and Han Yeri, who I don't know if I've actually seen her in anything else. Uh, you know, to the two very kind of like precocious little kids that I, I uh, really, really adore. They're just adorable. Um, yep. But you know, uh, with uh, Yoon with her her grandmother, that really kind of like is the sticking point for me. Um, you know, just to be uprooted from from Korea to move into, you know, the middle of America um, to to assist her daughter, uh, who is trying to support her husband's dream. Um, all of that, like combined, all these little little beautiful, painful awkward, tender moments that you have with living with family in close proximity is just... Um, it, it's a joy to watch, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's just so much there, right? That it, that that's get, gets packed into the movie's less conspicuous moments, uh, less plot-conspicuous moments, mm. um, so to say. You know, uh, I, I really, really did enjoy the whole thing. I, I, I think... It's easy. I for a moment it was, uh, um, out all the way leading up till I guess like the church. The first time you go to church, right? Then right. You 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 kind of get lost in the fact, right? Because a lot of it is, is is limited to the farm itself, and 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 you know like these wide swaths of nature and and feel <clears throat> and greenery, mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful stuff. And then you realize that uh, it's not just the challenges they are facing trying to start a farm uh, and then moving from California out to Arkansas and all of that. This is like 1980s Arkansas. Yeah. Uh, and and it is rough being Korean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In 1980s Arkansas. 
Uh, it uh, yeah, and just like that church scene made me made me cringe so badly with with some of the things that they kind of had to deal with. Mm, um, the, the thing the thing that makes you super cringe is that like the churchgoers and the people asking them insensitive questions, like aren't actually malicious no. or like overtly racist. They're just ignorant yeah. and don't know any better, lah. Yeah. Um, and I like that you know they they aren't you know uh, like almost caricaturally de- depicted as like you know those like redneck idiots. You know, yeah. They're just they're fundamentally like nice people. They just don't know what they're talking about. La. Yeah, totally agree. I think that um like like David's kind of strange Johnny the 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 white boy mm-hmm. uh, he finds at church and like that little scene where he stays over at Johnny's place yeah. uh, which was really really cute but that interaction with um, kind of like the redneck father in the morning right yeah. uh, was like I, I think it's the best indication of that right like he mm-hmm. he doesn't know you know and he's well intentioned and all the day and at the end of the day like he imparts his own kind of like wisdom to a child who's completely <laughs> foreign to him yeah. uh, in, in the most you know, sweet way, in his own sweet way. Uh, when, when I, I think is that, but like still, you know, uh, at that point in time, I was just like, oh yeah, okay. I, I'm, I'm forgetting like the greater context of, of uh, what they're struggling with, right? And, and in addition to that, having Koreans, uh, a Korean community nearby enough, but not being able to be part of that community, just like kind of hits. Um, hits home, right? And how isolated the uh, situation actually is because of the decisions mm-hmm. uh, that Jacob has made. Yes, exactly. You know, um, the film is mostly about Jacob, like, per se, but it's it's really about the entire family, you know. Yeah. And and I feel like sometimes a great film is not like a novel, but it's more like a great short story. Mm. You know, it tunnels deep into a very limited set of characters yeah. in a limited time while telling a very tender keenly observed story that doesn't attempt to go too big in its scope of vision mm-hmm. and, and such is the case with this film which I think benefits enormously from writer-director uh, Lee Isaac Chung's uh, mining of his childhood you know yeah um, it's you know like Alan Kim is great as you mentioned uh, who plays David the youngest member yeah. of the Yee family uh, and you know they begin the film by uprooting themselves from, from California to backwards Arkansas uh, during the Reagan administration, you know, which is, you know, um, <laughs> let's not get into that. Yeah. But, but it's, it's all because it's like David's determined father, Jacob, uh, played by Stephen Yeun, is convinced that he can create a successful business by growing uh, Korean produce and selling it to vendors in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the story progresses, it becomes clear that Jacob's fierce and unwavering belief that he can find his own version of the American dream on his meager farm is a belief that only he shares, um, often to the de- detriment of David, to the detriment of the older sister, yeah. to the de- detriment of his mother, uh, and 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 his wife. You know, um, uh, they even supplement their tiny income by like sexing chickens, uh, chicks at a at a local farm, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 you know, like David has a shaky relationship with the grandmother, uh, Sunja, um, whose personality is often at odds with their more like Americanized brood, which is very interesting. Um, Contrast between first and second generation immigrants. Yeah, uh, and Minari works for all those reasons, but chief among them is like the undeniable authenticity of it. Mm. I think like filmmakers are often prone to turning their own lives into stories. Yeah, but it's rare for such a story to feel universal and recognizable. Yep. especially to those who don't have a Korean heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, the film's own heritage has been. I think hard to pin down, as you mentioned earlier, right? For some awards bodies, uh, yeah. is it a Korean film? Is it an American film? I mean, we would argue that it's an American film. It's unquestionably an American movie. 
Um, and there are a lot of reasons why. Shot and set in America, it includes mostly American actors. It's produced by an American studio. Uh, and on a creative level, it's also true because Minari depicts the quest of the American dream uh, in a way that is wholly authentic and correct. Mm-hmm. Like the, the concept of the American dream always sounds admirable and idealized, but Minari acknowledges the, the harsh reality of how it looks and feels uh, different for everyone, especially those who immigrate to the country to achieve the success that they've heard from others, but not actually you know, have first an experience with. Yeah. The, the pitfalls and appeals of that dream are embodied in Stephen Yeun, who, who probably has one of his better performances here, yeah, uh, sure. ever since he transitioned to cinema. Um, Jacob and Monica, right? They, they represent the two halves of the American dream. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's the aspiration inherent in hoping you can find financial success by working hard yep. and convincing others of your worth. You know, as seen through Jacob and Monica, you know, is working equally long hours and balancing being a caring mother to her children, uh, but also represents the reality crashing down on that aspiration and hope. Yeah. Uh, the, these. Co- con- dichotomous performances are as deft as Chong's script. Mm. Uh, they are humane and painful and understandable, uh, which results in a very um, uh, keenly observed cinematic slice of life uh, yeah. filled with killer performances, a very quiet, like almost like, I, I don't say unambitious, but... It's, it's, it's a modest, yeah. you know, yeah. like it's very modest in its depiction, very... Scant is scant, not not um, yeah. You know it it it's it's uh it's scant in 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 a good way, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, it, it's not it's not showy or ostentatious or anything of the sort. Much like yeah. the family. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like very sensitively written, sensitively yeah. acted, beautifully shot. You know, like the Ozarks never look better. Yeah. Uh, and you know it has this charming, very sparingly used core, which is very nice. Like it doesn't. It doesn't, you know, um, over overwhelm you. Uh, it's so engaging that it's easy to forget how radical it is. Mm. Uh, it's actually quite modest, but it actually, you know, it feels different. And and the 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 weight and the power of the film doesn't quite hit you until you finish watching it. Like it's like, yeah, that's yeah, that's a beautiful movie, you know. Yeah. Well, and yeah. like it's intimate and expensive. A film with a big heart, you know. It is. It is. Yeah, I'm completely taken by it, and and the way in which like these very these very kind of special vignettes are just woven together for a very specific time in a in a very specific family's life. Uh, and, you know, again, like we've said a number of times, right? Like it is, it's kind of crazy and mind-boggling that so many of the films that we love uh, have a specificity that allows it to be universal. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think like Minari is a prime kind of like example, uh, again, right, of that. Uh, you may not, you know, be a Korean family trying to to assimilate in 1980s America, but mm-hmm. like just the story itself and and you know thematically what it's trying to to um uh to to convey, convey yeah. is yeah. is um universal in so many ways and it's hard to it 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 is so hard to kind of like tear yourself away from that right like I was rooted in in my chair for the entire duration of it. Um, yeah, which is which is I mean like that's not as common as you know you would like to believe lah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah. I really really love that. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it kind of left me wanting more, but at the same time, like you mm-hmm. know, it was it was it ended the way it needed to end, 
right? Like it mm-hmm. had all the struggle and the triumph and the tragedy that you needed for this story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's so apt, so so well put together. Love it. Yeah, yeah, love the nuanced naturalism. It makes Minari so captivating, so intimate. It doesn't tell a complicated story, but it doesn't need to. You know, it, it lets the the roots and branches of a family drama grow and become entwined with the audience's own stories, and that's what makes it feel so relatable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was Minari. Like those were our top two films of the year. I mean, incredible stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like. It's hard to pick one over the other, and, and both have their own merits uh, in, individually. Uh, next up, we move from uh, America to Denmark, uh, and, and from one Hannibal to another <laughs> Hannibal, uh, <laughs> to Hannibal, who has become like to young Hannibal, who is actually you know not that young anymore, but yeah. younger Hannibal, younger Hannibal. Uh, who has become just a, just an, as iconic as uh, Anthony Hopkins. I, in I agree. I, I think for a lot of people, Matt yeah. Nicholson is Hannibal more so than Anthony Hopkins. Right, yeah. like I don't know how many people have spent time watching Hannibal the TV show mm. that may necessarily know Hannibal Lecter as in, in Silence of the Lambs. Um, yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, this is a Danish film uh, called Druk in 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 Danish, but in America and in other countries, it's called Another Round. Yeah, uh, and it's led by an intoxicating uh, powerhouse performance from Matt Mikkelsen. Uh, Another Round is a Danish midlife crisis film uh, mm-hmm. that is filled with you know ebullience and sorrow and humor and love. Uh, it's directed by Thomas Winterberg, and his story follows four high school teachers who test out a wild theory by uh, a, a psychologist um, who wrote that humans should maintain always an alcohol level of 0.05%. Yeah. Uh, first, these four bored high school teachers, they get increasingly drunker every day to see how it affects their social and professional lives. Yeah. Um, they think of it as, a, as an educational experiment of sort to test out this theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a cathartic exploration of disaffection, friendship, and how like merriment and melancholy uh, can go hand in hand. Um, at first, their like little experiment finds a bit of success actually. You know, when they actually keep to the zero point zero five uh, blood alcohol limit, right? Yeah, they become looser. They become more confident. They become able to engage in their professions uh, and their spouses and their friends in a better way. Uh, but then you know it leads to a, uh, a, this rabbit hole. It's like you know, what if we we go above the zero point five percent threshold, right? Could, could we get more more bang for a buck, you know? Yeah. And obviously that that causes a deterioration. Then you know, uh, it's it's and it it's an insane premise, uh, which I did not think would work. Uh, but it works because of Thomas Winterberg's direction yeah. and Matt Mikkelsen's uh, performance, uh, and and Thomas Win- uh, Winterberg who. Um, I, I don't know whether you've read anything about him, but the, the impetus of his story, right? Um, it was actually his daughter, Ida, uh, who convinced him to make this film. Uh, and as he was shooting the film, uh, his daughter, Ida, was, was, was killed in a car accident uh, four days into filming. Wow. Uh, and Winterberg's and response was to rework the script to make it more life-affirming, not less life-affirming, mm-hmm. you know? And I think like the, the, the four men played by Matt Mikkelsen and alongside his friends, Tommy, Nicolaj, and Peter, you know, like who play the teachers at the same school. Yeah. Uh, great, like a great bromance of f- film uh, yeah. about friendship, you know, uh, and about celebrating life and about um, 
you know, like this 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 fe- feeling of like not being fulfilled. Uh, you're not sure uh, on we right. You're not sure like what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you're using this pseudo scientific plan with <laughs> with uh, like hypotheses <laughs> and research guidelines in as a day drinking experiment to 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 spruce up your life. Yeah, it works until it doesn't. Uh, and like I'm not gonna get into like the ending, which I fucking loved. It's like oh, one of the best yeah. like film endings I've ever seen. I agree. Uh, but let's let, let's let's talk about the movie first. Uh, what do you think about another round? Uh, I, I I recall when the film was kind of making its festival rounds and the and the trailer was kind of dropped at first. Uh, mm. I I really wanted to watch this because when uh, um when I was younger, I can't believe I'm saying it that way. But yeah, when I was younger. Uh, my friends and I had a rule that every time we went on holiday together, the moment mm. you landed, you got to start drinking. Uh, oh, yeah. And yeah, the, yeah, and the goal is to maintain the buzz throughout the entire time you're there mm-hmm. uh, until you get back on the plane. Yeah. Right? So I was just like, okay, let's let's see this. Uh, ha- having done... I mean, obviously, that's for leisure, right? We're on holiday and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah. ha- having done that, I was so curious to, uh, to see what the outcome of this experiment would be, right? Mm-hmm. So on a very kind of like shallow surface uh, level, I was just like, okay, no, this sounds like it's going to be fun. Uh, <clears throat> let's see where this goes. Uh, mm-hmm. But to have tacked onto that, right? Like the, the entire experiment is just the excuse for laying into the audience um, what is many like these four men have their problems right and and this is just an excuse right for yeah. them to step out of that uh the places that they find themselves in at this point in time in their lives um and and you know just just let loose like, and and kind of like be free of that mm. and uh you you well i came in with this and i was like oh yeah this is going to be like fairly fun uh it's, it's going to be kind of like an interesting watch and then you get smacked with a lot of like personal existential questions and like family drama uh mm-hmm. and just this whole, whole idea of like the how our mental illnesses um haunt us and the escapes that we take to es- uh, the, the escapes that we take in a day-to-day fashion to escape them um and yeah so like such a, a crazy kind of ride seeing these men um, go about this experiment and how it affects their lives um, to different kind of like varying conclusions, some some good and some not so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so like uh, all of that all together like makes it for this crazy kind of like dramatic ride, uh, roller coaster almost where, you know, much like a, much like a, a uh, a binge of its own, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, it has all the highs and and the lows of a very heavy night of drinking. Uh, that's yeah. what the movie feels like. Um, but I think, like at the end of the day, uh, the the way that it ends, the way that it wraps up, like that finale itself, has kind of the same quality as like, you know, when your hangover finally clears the next day or two mm. days for me now. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there, there's a moment of clarity before like the mundane sets in again, and it feels like that, right? Like there is like you know the sun's just a bit brighter, uh, you know your your senses feel a bit more alive, um, mm-hmm. you feel free, right? Of mm-hmm. of the consequences of of you know your 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 relationship with alcohol the night before and everything else. There is a moment in time where you feel free, and yeah. I feel like the end of the movie perfectly captures that and amplifies it. 
to the point where it does feel extremely life affirming, right? Like the lessons that you have tried and what you've experimented with has brought you to a place of clarity, which is which is a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, yeah. You know, like like at first, uh, Martin and his friends, right? They they place too much value on alcohol itself as the answer to their existential woes. Uh. And, and like they don't truly understand or accept the fact that habitual drinking is a bottomless trapdoor. Yeah. Uh, that's what like low-key alcoholism is, you know? Yeah. Uh, like they're trying to submerge their feelings of failure or mediocrity in booze. Uh, and, and they hope that eventually they'll, they'll find a way to swim in it, you know? Uh, but despite like another round's downward spirals as they start to, you know, spiral, uh, <laughs> um, it, it steers clear of gloom i think like for all the tragedies and transgressions yeah. that unfold throughout the film is actually surprisingly light on its feet and and shockingly joy- joyful uh Vinterberg, like doesn't argue so much that drinking is a sin but rather that drinking for the wrong reasons is sinful uh instead of for company and pleasure the, the guys in the film they they drink for the naughty naughty thrill of sneaking yeah. alcohol uh breaks into their schedules <laughs> at school uh also for the validation of actually doing their jobs well. Uh, you know, there's the substance to the substance abuse. Uh, but the substance isn't necessarily good. It's just there for better or for worse. It's it's all fun and games until somebody, you know, pisses the bit or someone stumbles into work plastered. Yeah. Um, and like the premise on paper, it's... I felt almost certain that it could have become like either a farcical comedy mm-hmm. or a maudlin tragedy or a or morality tale. But it never quite does any of that no, like no. like it, it 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 instead of you know it, it never teeters on the brink of preachiness or platitudes you know but the movie feels vibrantly personal yeah it explores like the exhilaration of a low bus uh and and you know of, of concocting a fairly ridiculous plan with your friends and then embarking <laughs> on that plan um even though like you're too old for the shenanigans yeah uh, and i think it dig- digs deep into the reasons why adults do things they can't even really explain to themselves. Yep. Um, some combination of finding courage in unlikely places uh, and needing to compensate for all the ways that they feel that they feel themselves. You know? and, and by the end, Another Round is a truly wonderful movie about trying to come to grips with life mm-hmm. uh, that is anchored by terrific performances and a real understanding of the discontent that all adults must learn to navigate in their own ways. Yeah. Um, it's the sort of dramedy that fuses tragedy uh, that just maybe the be- that, that best represents what life really is. It's sometimes melancholy, it's sometimes glorious, and sometimes it leads to like, a really cathartic dance <laughs> at the end. Yeah. Um, and let, let's get to the ending. You know? like, I cannot overstate enough my love for another round uh, ending. And, and a, great draw, a, a great deal of the joy is thanks to Matt Milkerson's a uh, musical number right at the end, you know. Yeah, yeah. He is uh, weirdly enough. I, I had no idea until this film, but he was a classically trained dancer. Um, you know, he is good, and it's not like the the musical sequence comes out of nowhere. Like the movie, like keeps hinting at you that he used to be a dancer. The yeah, character. yeah, yeah. They you keep know? teasing it the entire way from the from like the genesis of their the, the their plan, right, at the dinner yeah. table, right? Like we, they tease it, they tease it, and then, and then when it pays off, it pays off in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just like it's a moment of exuberance and and like sheer performative uh, release right that is is such a joy to watch it's such mm-hmm. a joy to watch and like it's just kind of like you know obviously he is there front and center and 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 we're all enjoying that but he's just kind of like framed with like the the, the students celebrating their graduation and and yep. the the remainder of his friends oh mm-hmm. man it's just like so good 
Um, and I, I, I think at the start of the movie, if you told me that how the movie that's how the movie ends, I, I wouldn't have believed it. Yeah, uh, but it was perfect for the moment, and perfect, I think, in what, um, what um, Ida was trying to say, right? Like, mm. if that I that definitely has to be a big part of the changes that were made to make it more life affirming. Yes. Um, and yeah. yeah, there's just a pure joy in that, right? Like much in the same way that uh, I think much earlier in the film, uh, Nicolaj, yes, Nicolaj, mm-hmm. who has this almost like childlike uh, excitement every time they have to like write the next part of their paper, mm-hmm. or or you know he has like uh, he observes um, Martin in his classroom, just like in his in his mo- in his groove. And doing his thing, and this just like this look of glee on his face, uh, that that was just um, yeah, you know, those moments of kind of like pure, uh, unfettered joy at something so, in the greater scheme of things, something just so you know non, descript, uh, uh, yeah. is is what makes so much of uh, this movie enjoyable. Mm, exactly. Yes. Uh, one of the best endings to a movie i've ever seen yeah like like i gotta be honest the only like not that another round isn't a great film it was nominated for like uh best in, uh international feature mm-hmm. uh, rightly so because this was an actual international feature <laughs> <laughs> at the oscars uh but i mean to be honest i just really wanted to talk about the ending like, it's like one of my favorite like final sequences in any yeah. film yeah and it's like it sends you out on the high you know mm-hmm. like I got, I got so high after i i i watch that like this is one of the like few files that i just refuse to delete because i keep watching that last scene over and over again yeah it's so is great so it, good. it functions as like a music video uh quality uh it's, it's music video quality right it's that good that you can watch it yeah yeah without absolutely context. for sure like i i think that it's just one of those clips that you continue to see and and like functions is a very different way from say like the ending of euphoria for example right which is a bit kind of like is out of place uh, yeah. and like we talked about on that episode mm-hmm. uh, you know or like uh, all these kind of like the, kind of the meme stuff that we've been getting uh, with uh, um, the Baron's dance sequence in Falcon with the Soldier right right right, uh, yeah. right and all of that like it's just so apt and like Matt Mickelson like props to him because like he my my perspective of his esteem has, has grown significantly watching him dance like that like damn Right, like so many great roles that he's played over time, mm-hmm. uh, and and this by far is one of my favorite, just because the man can seriously dance, um, so good. So good. he used to be a gymnast and dancer, you know. Like, yeah, how insane I, is that? I did not know that. I after the movie, it's, I'm just like, really, is that all him? So I went and mm-hmm. Google it, and I went on like people are talking about it and stuff like that, and just like, yeah, he, it's totally legit. Like this is, this is. Um, this is him before he became, you know, the actor that we know, uh, mm. which is kind of like mind blowing. Uh, and, yes. and I'm just glad that he got to play a, a, a role that allowed him to explore that. Right. Like I, I don't think he's ever had anything, uh, any kind of like significant role that has allowed him to tap into that skill set that he's had for so long. Mm, yeah. I mean, like, Ben Swickson is not a young guy. Like, like he is, you know, no, yeah. uh, he, late 40s, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, just fucking look at him. Like, like he, is, he is like, he has been fit since the day he came out of the womb. So now, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, he looks like he's chiseled out of granite, you know, like the guy has clearly like keeps in shape, you know what I mean? 
<laughs> I, I think he'll like maintain this like in, he's one of those like old men he'll be one of those old men like, that, that has like this incredible body and can like lap you when you're running yeah yeah I wouldn't be surprised at all it has to be uh, it has to be that Scandinavian like bloodline you know some Vikings mm. are going on there for sure yeah. Um, yeah, the fucker is definitely a, a Viking. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And it's it's just so he's got this like, um, like his brood face, right? Like his brooding mm-hmm. face is absolutely like classical. Uh, <laughs> you know, like even within this film, and there were moments in time where it kind of borders between like it doesn't quite fit with the film itself, like at the dinner yeah. table or like when he's like pouring himself a drink in the middle of his kitchen, like he mm-hmm. he verges on brooding, and that brooding face is like so great. Um, but it never quite gets there. It's like, oh, so good, so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, and that was the Danish film Another Round. Uh, Danish film Another Round has actually just come to Singapore. Um, it yeah. was released by Encore Films, so you can watch it at Golden Village. So there you go. Uh, it's not just available in VOD. You should go support in theatres, because you know if you want to encourage these uh, distributors to bring in um, uh, more art, art house international films, yep. Then, then go go watch it in cinemas. Uh, yeah, and next up, the final film we'll be talking about, uh, last but not least, is uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, it is uh, directed by Shaka King. Although, like, if you thought it was directed by um by Spike Lee, I will forgive you because it feels oh, like Spike yeah. Lee film that is not Spike <laughs> Lee. You know, it's uh it's a historical uh powerhouse political thriller. Uh, featuring incredible performances uh, by reunited Get Out stars uh, Daniel Kaluuya, uh, who plays Black Panther Party chairman Fred Hampton, yep. and Lakeith Stanfield as William O'Neill, who is a career thief turned FBI informant who infiltrates the Black Party's uh, the, the Black Panther Party's inner circle uh, and informs on them to the FBI. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a scalding account of oppression and revolution, uh, coercion and betrayal. Never once holding back on its, you know, incendiary, electrifying depiction of Fred Hampton, who is great, alongside O'Neill's vivid in a turmoil of having to betray his own people. Um, it's a riveting tale of moral conflict and an urgent indictment of America's systemic history of racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, exciting film filled with really, really good performances all around. Um, if you've seen The Trout of Chicago 7, you may remember Fred Hampton from that film too. Yeah. Uh, and he dies midway, of course. But we're, we're not... The, the movie doesn't focus on him. The movie focuses on, obviously, the Chicago 7. Yeah. Uh, but it almost feels as if, like, a nice complimentary to that movie. Mm, because yeah. this is honestly the more interesting story. Uh, and it's great. It's one of the best undercover story I've ever seen. Uh, under undercover, you know, it's like the reverse Black Clansman almost. It's like instead of uh, infiltrating the KKK, you're infiltrating the Black Panther Party, right? Yeah. And it's also a really good uh, Black empowerment story too, mm-hmm. and an almost Shakespearean trail of betrayal as well. Uh, you know, hence the title, like Judas. You know, um, great film, uh, great performances. Um, Jesse Plemons is in Ooh. it as well. Uh, who, who I love. Yeah. Uh, a bit underrated from all the all the talk about this film about how great Kaluuya is, but how great uh Lucky Stanfield is yeah. and Jesse Plemons. Uh, a lot of people like fail to mention Dominic Fishback, who plays Deborah Johnson, mm. who is uh Fred Hampton's um fiance or girlfriend, uh yeah. baby mama. Uh she is incredible in this film as well, and a lot of people forget about that. Uh. Yeah. Um yeah. Martin Sheen is almost unrecognizable as uh, FBI oh, but he Hoover. makes your skin crawl. So yeah. Good. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a uh, he's the anti Jet Bartlett in this film. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, uh, great film. Uh, what do you think about uh, Judas and Black Messiah? Um, I was excited to get onto this because, like you said, right? Having watched uh, Traffic, Chicago Seven, I was just mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, uh, I have some kind of cursory knowledge. Uh, after doing some research, reading here and there after after Chicago Seven, uh, I would really like, want to. I want to see, you know, what the narrative is on the other side of things, right? Uh, or rather, the I guess you could say the prequel to Chicago Seven. Um, you know, mm. um, not, um, most of it is before, but the the final bit, part, the yeah. final part takes place on the same on the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So just just wanting to see kind of the other side of the coin to that, right? Like having done some read up, not prior to these two films, I have had, I've not had that much kind of in depth knowledge of, uh, you know, mm. the Black Panther Party and all that. Just kind of cursory things in in American history that I've mm-hmm. had to study before. Um, but yeah, so it's like super, super interested um, to kind of like dive into that, you know. And uh, I think they did a really, really good job of telling the story as as true to life as they possibly could. Um, mm-hmm. Kaluuya's uh, performance of Hampton is yeah. so believable, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can put that up with with any one of the recorded speeches that you know um, of, of, that Hampton has has given. Um, just mm. like the tone of his voice and 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 his his general demeanor and posture as he is, um, as he when he speaks publicly, right? Such a commanding presence, such a charismatic voice, uh, and, and just so moving in the way. And I think like Kaluuya, like nails every point of that. But mm. uh, what we don't see, right, or what what most of us as audiences won't know is like what. Hampton is like as as an uh, an everyday man, right? And it's mm. moments like that where I think like Kaluuya really hits it home, right? Yeah. That he is uh, that Hampton as a man is, um, uh, he is he is congress, right? Like his his public persona and what he believes in is also very much in line with the kind of like man of conviction that he is, even in his private life, um, mm. you know, which is played. Uh, to perfection alongside Dominic Fishback's Deborah Johnson, uh, yeah. who to me is just like she, she's so good in the moments that she has on camera, right? Like it's just like kind of mind blowing. And I think especially any time that it's just Hampton and, and Johnson, like alone, you know, the the confrontations that they have with each other, or rather, a lot of the time Johnson with Hampton, right? Yeah. And just like leaning into the fact that. From the beginning, she she's she's like, do you like poetry? And and she's a poet and all that. Um, mm. The way their conversations carry on is such a battle of personality and wits, both of which you understand and are justified uh, mm. from different points of view, uh, and are so put across so eloquently in, in like the poem that she she reads to him. Mm. In, in that moment, is just like so good, like. It, you hold your breath, right, for for it. Um, but yeah, like really, really solid stuff from uh, Daniel Kaluuya uh, in his first outing as a Black Panther and not the right hand man of Black Panther. Yeah, in the other Black Panther. <laughs> in the other um, Black Panther. 
Yeah, uh, well, weirdly enough, a lot of people don't know this, but Black Panther the comic book actually came out before Black Panther the party. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, which led to like a weird uh, period of time for like three or four, five years where Marvel decided to change their, uh-huh. change Black Panther's name to the Black Leopard, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It was, so, it was so weird, like it just doesn't have a ring to it. Uh, yeah, and like the way they had to go about it in story was absolutely bizarre. Right, yeah. like it had to do with like changing deities and like all of that, mm-hmm. and the costume change was just ridiculous. Uh, but yes, uh, fun yeah. fact, fun fact. Yeah, like, and I guarantee you, like, the Black Panther party would not have minded like Black Panther being called Black Panther. Like, they kind of share the same message, to be honest. You know. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. Um, and it's 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 great. Like, like Lucky Stanfield probably is more of the lead of the film than Daniel Kaluuya is. Weirdly yeah. enough, um, mm-hmm. the, uh, he does play you know Fred Hampton, like, who is like the major force of the film. But the real story is Lucky Stanfield's uh, William or Bill, you know. Yeah who is thrust into the world of the Black Panthers. And he's at first like kind of shocked by the organization, right? And their strength, you know, and he slips uneasily into their ranks uh, and then kind of finds himself taken in yeah. by their mission <laughs> and by, uh, by Chairman Fred's charisma and, and conviction. And then like his visibility in a party grows. And so does his apparent allegiance to the group. Uh, even his uh, grim FBI handler, Roy Mitchell, who is Jesse Plemons, mm. keeps asking more and more of him. Um, and this is a real-life story. The real William O'Neill didn't just become a member of the group. He became a high-ranking official. He became the head of security at one point. And his his prodigious rise within it allowed him the chance to not only sell them out repeatedly, but yeah. to irrevocably put into motion events that would eventually lead to a tremendous tragedy, the assassination of Fred Hampton. Mm-hmm. And, and lay it into Bill's ascension like, is, of course, the story of uh, Chairman Fred, who was just 20 years old when he became the leader of the Chicago branch you yeah. know, uh, of the Black Panthers. And he is so good uh, in it. Like, and, and, and Kulia and Sanfield, you know, two actors who seem like destined to be hailed as like this film as like, you know, career besters. Mm. Uh, uh, it's such an incendiary watch, you know. No, no one plays like uh, twitchy quite like Stanfield. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and and we know he has plenty of reasons to twitch in this film, uh, but like he's never brought in his mannerisms. Uh, and few working actors today can telegraph um, quite so much emotion with near imperceptible uh, facial uh, expressions. Agree. Yeah. Uh, the, the slightest change of his mouth and, and things like that. Um, Kaluuya almost has an easy job at playing a bombastic role, you know, a, yep. a more sce- a more scenery chewing it... uh, role, and he's great in it. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, he's at least initially bombastic. But I think Shaka King and Kaluuya chose to introduce him to his uh, at first, right? He's introduced through through speeches and through public appearances. It's yeah. wise, but then you meet the personal Fred, you know, who is more nuanced, who's more careful. Uh, and and who's more uh, unsure of himself, unlike his public persona. Yeah. Uh, and Kaluuya is truly able to capture every inch of the man, both the public facing side and the personal fa- uh, and the personal side of him. Mm-hmm. And and Fred Hampton was truly an incredible revolutionary. You know, the film paints a vivid portrait of '60s Chicago mm-hmm. uh, that almost fe- that feels very lived in. You know, it feel it doesn't feel like it's a period piece. It feels like now and and uh, you get sucked into it and Fred Hampton is so charismatic that you fully believe that this uh, black militant nationalist leader could form allegiances with a neo-nazi white supremacist party <laughs> you know he is he's that charismatic that like he could get that he could get a white supremacist group to team up with him you know that's that's insane that actually happened in real life you know he 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 went around you know talking to like various uh, militant groups of 
all sorts of all like inclinations, you know, like some are like more towards his side, you know, like Latino people, uh, Asian Americans, uh, Polynesian people. But then like he also tapped into the the anger of like poor white people and white supremacists because yeah. he, he understands that they have the common enemy, which is the federal government. You know, his essential argument to them is just like, let's take down the federal government. They fucked you, they fucked us. And then like, when we win, well, we, you know, we can fight them. <laughs> the the yeah. enemy of my enemy thing. What a great approach, you know, where like, you know, when he, co- he goes into that church and like he makes that speech to the white supremacist group and then they're all like, yeah, okay. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what an insane bit of history. I did, I did not know that until I looked it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had absolutely no idea that happened. Like the whole uh, Rainbow Alliance thing that was going yeah. on. Like it, I think it gets buried over in, in the greater kind of like discourse about the, the Black Panthers and all of that. But that one speech, damn, so good. So mm-hmm. good. Um, you know, as as with any of the speeches that he he has kind of like given, right? Um, yeah, when he goes into like the, the rival gangs, uh, HQ and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. What yeah. he says to the crowns, uh, what he says yeah. to the disciples, like, damn, like it's really... It it really is quite something, uh, you know, or even like such a smart, um, the 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 breakfast for children thing is like so so incredibly smart, right? Like you mm-hmm. you you feed the kids, you teach them there, you know, and at the end of the day, like the message at its very core is is empowering, right? Like mm-hmm. um, I will I will train my body and my mind, right? Um, mm-hmm. and and all of that is just like all these kind of like instances of of brilliance, uh, it, but. What I, I think what the film does um, quite effectively is that uh, as much as you feel for Hampton and you feel for his cause, right, and you root yeah. for him, uh, mm. eventually, right, O'Neill has reason, mm. um, you know, and it, it goes through a very convoluted way, right? So he's he's just doing this for to to get out of the the charges. He's doing it for mm-hmm. the money. He's doing it for the the the. the pride that he feels for what he's put into it as well you know mm-hmm. with the whole thing with the c4 and all of that yeah particularly in that scene right um but you understand right like he's a man caught in a corner uh mm. by many things right and and uh, i think roy uh Plemons, um portrayal of roy mitchell as well feels reasonable it feels um, mm. As in, he has reasons as well, right, for, for facilitating what eventually happens. Mm. Um, that is, I mean, maybe not justifiable necessarily, but understandable. Mm. Um, you know, and, and these three men are just kind of caught in this web of, um, of, of well, not desire necessarily, uh, a web of, of conflicting interests. Uh, yeah, that, they they all they, they all have their own principles. Yeah, right. And yeah. and none of those principles are necessarily bad or necessarily evil, mm. right? With the exception of Martin Sheen as J. Edgar Hoover, who's just like pure yeah. evil. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, you know, and and it is uh, it, it's kind of crazy to watch, right? Um, the kind of the world that uh, orbited around Hampton, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and of course o- O'Neill being caught up in that while he himself like trying to survive right and mm-hmm. of course Plemons like truly believing you know in his cause and, and mm-hmm. in the dangers that he felt the Black Panthers mm-hmm. what I brought um, yeah and that like, like, like when, when he mm-hmm. compared the Black Panthers to the KKK right like at first you're like what the fuck are you talking about no, and then he explains it yeah. and then and, you're like huh 
Yeah. I actually kind of get it. Yeah. Exactly, right? Like that moment yeah. where they're sitting at the restaurant and he talks about like the torture. Mm. I'm just like, yeah, that's completely reasonable, right? Um, because as much as Hampton has a particular vision for it, um, mm. that's not to say that 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 goal and, and, and that beautiful kind of like I, I ideal isn't gonna get abused as it comes down the line. And and we see that very early on. Um, yeah. you know. Uh it, it's it's kind of nuts um, to see how nuanced um, both the performances and and the storytelling is um, mm. here, right? Which 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 is makes it such a great movie. Just because like so, it's so easy to frame it as a very like straight up okay, like you know this was like the second coming of Christ, <laughs> right? And and you know like Judas is just you know it's a schemy little like piece of shit, right? Uh, yep. But they went the extra mile for that, both the actors and 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 Shaka King as well, um, mm-hmm. to ensure that it felt as true to life as possible. And I I really think that it did. Um, yeah. And I feel like um, it does benefit a lot. Of, sometimes when things are based on on real life stories and you have footage of interviews yep. and stuff like that, that doesn't always play to the what you're trying to do in the movie necessarily, right? Because it gives you a point of comparison for that particular actor's performance, you know, whether they captured like the, the demeanor and, and, and the turn of speech and so on and so forth. Uh, mm-hmm. But I feel like interspersed with O'Neill's interview that he gave, um, right, really, yeah, yeah. yeah, it really does help the cause. Like mm-hmm. you completely believe that uh, Lakeith Stanfield is Bill O'Neill, um, despite seeing the actual Bill O'Neill at the end of the day. And yes. it drives home the entire performance when he says that I was an active part of this, right? Mm-hmm. Like I pursued this, I, I, I was a man of action and history, um, like history will, will, will speak of me. Yeah. Like that final line for that like encapsulates the, the, in, in the brevity uh, of Stanfield's performance, right? Uh, because mm. in those moments throughout the narrative, like those are the things that he believed in, and it's crazy, right? Like just kind of like the synergy of of those two very vastly different, like the fictional performance itself and and the real life interview. Um, also, yeah, 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 him saying that you kind of feeling for him also, and then like knowing that after he gave the interview in the nineties, just yeah. hours later he hung himself. Like it also shows that he knows that he he knows that he was deluding himself to a certain point also. Yep, yep. That he was the bad guy that people are making up, making him out to be. Like, but he is more than that. Like. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the shades of grey in the, the quote-unquote Judas or the, the, the bad guy stories like you see in Aaron Burr or Salieri or, <laughs> or, or this, you know, for example. It's, it's important, like, you know, to show yeah. that where they're coming from and what their motivations are. Mm-hmm. And they're not like Judas for, because they're evil. But because they were they were kind of cornered and they have their own principles that they're trying to live up to, and, and yeah. sometimes you know you just can't. Um, yeah, I mean, great film overall. Uh, one of one of the best of the year. Uh, really enjoyed this. It's actually Shaka King's only second movie. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not seeing his first movie either. So yeah, great, great, like big feature. Oh, I know it's not a debut, but it's kind of a debut because he he's now thrust into the mainstream. Now yeah. people know who he is. You know, he's probably going to get a Marvel movie at some point. Uh, that's how Yeah, is. yeah. <laughs> it does It does feel that way. It really, really does. Like, I, I can see a number of characters being thrown his way, for sure. Yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. Like, if Ryan Coogler, like, wants to leave after Black Panther 2, like, you could give um, Black Panther to Shaka King. And yeah. I would be totally cool with that, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll see where that goes. I, I really, really wouldn't be surprised. Very, very honestly. It really does smell like it's up mouthful's alley to do that. Definitely, definitely. And uh, let's wrap it up by not ignoring television. Mm. Uh, but just like both of us giving a quick ranking of our top five TV shows of the year so far. Um, so this is how we're going to do it. We're both going to rank uh, from bo- from number five to number one. Yeah. Uh, Isa is going to give us number five. I'm going to give my number five. And then four, all, all the way up to one and so on, you know. Uh, we have made a bit of an effort not to <laughs> cross-pollinate our lists. Uh, so some of Isa's choices might actually be in my top five also and, and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, but we decided like instead of just like us, you know, like what's the point of having two top five lists if like all five entries are the same? Uh, so we I we choose to diversify. Uh, so think of this as the top ten list, uh, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Uh, so let's begin with your number five. What's your number five TV show of the year so far? My number five TV show of the year so far has actually been uh, Kevin Hart's uh, series on Netflix called Fatherhood. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I saw the trailer. I thought, oh, Kevin Hart not doing like slapstick comedy. Let's have a look at it. And mm. I was very very surprised. I'm actually very very taken by it. It has these uh, amazingly scripted, heartfelt performances that completely threw me off guard. Right, like it's not perfect, but it has a lot of heart, and like mm. it completely establishes Kevin Hart as a com- a, a competent dramatic actor uh, with potential to be be great in the future uh, which is which is saying a lot uh, honestly because I've, I've never really up till this point enjoyed something that Kevin Hart has done as, as much as I've enjoyed this Same. Um, it's nuts to be able to say that uh, but then again like you know never thought I'll be a massive Aquafina fan but now I am yeah. You know, yeah. and and like uh, I'm consistently being proven wrong um, for for many of these comedic actors who have just mm-hmm. shown incredible chops uh, when it comes to doing drama. Uh, nice. Yes, so that's my number five. Uh, my number five is a show coming out of HBO. Uh, it's called It's a Sin. Uh, it's set in the early 1980s. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a mini series created and written by Russell T. Davis, and it examines the dawn of the AIDS epidemic through the eyes of five young Londoners, uh, and in, in five very brisk, uh, often devastating episodes, uh, encompassing the entirety of the decade. Uh, Davis kind of whips between outrageous scenes of hedonistic raunch and stark moments of confusion, sorrow, and terror as the reality of what AIDS is begins to hit. You know? mm-hmm. um, it's a sin is, is a gut-wrenching look at the toll of that horrific plague and the stigma that its patients faced. Uh, but it's also a joyful celebration of the radiance and and that generation's uh, that that generation's gay community and and how they were so brave uh, in in overcoming this and and how they they came together and banded together to to get the world and their and respective governments to realize that AIDS is a it's a it's an important thing to look at. It should yeah. not be ignored mm-hmm. just because it's afflicting uh, a, a portion of the community that you don't care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, Great uh, mini series. It came out earlier in in January, and, and I recommend you check it out on HBO. Mm, okay, cool, cool, yeah. cool. Uh, what's your number four? My number four is Lupin, and I'm just gonna lump part one and part two in since they were both out this year anyway. You're right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lupin has been like it was. It's just been a joy to watch. Um, easy breezy, bingeable. Uh, it has all the kind of like elements that I I feel like I've been missing for a while for this kind of like 
uh, espionage, mm. uh, thriller, detective story. Um, that I, I feel like we haven't gotten a good one in a while, you know. Uh, yeah. Omar Sai is just like, he is just effortlessly kind of like sexy mm. and stylish and, and just so smart. Uh, but he's no, he's no superhero. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he is fallible and, and vulnerable as a man. Uh, and you know he has to navigate all of that, which I I feel like makes it kind of really really real. Uh, I I binge part one on a whim. Uh, I binge part two, uh, you know, as soon as it came out, and I really really enjoyed that. Are there better TV shows to be in my sure. top five? Sure, but yeah. we've already talked about those, right? And uh, this is just one of those things that like I have absolutely no regrets turning on. Um, yeah. from from episode one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same. I I really really en- enjoyed. Part one in particular, yep. I do feel like towards the end of part two, the it it starts to like fall apart a bit, like logically. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Totally. There, there is a, a franticness um, mm. that is is very strange, right? Like, and it very, feels very, very out of out of tone and out of character for it. And I'm wondering yeah. if that's because they were trying to wrap things up very quickly. Mm. Um, it didn't feel as well paced. I think, like especially the third act of uh, part of part two, really did feel like very a lot more messy than that. Mm. Uh, but I think they did give us a a good enough conclusion to that. I would yeah. watch it if you know it became if there was a second season. Um, yeah, hundred percent. And hopefully, you know, I mean, like just because it lends itself perfectly, both in terms of the genre uh, of show it is to have like multiple kind of like, uh, well, episodic uh, or maybe even serialized um, um, seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I will watch it so long as it continued to deliver the parts that I like. Right? Yeah. 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 It's one of those right. kind of shows. Yeah. What's yep, your yep. Um, number four? Uh, my number four is a show from England. Uh, actually, whoa, my first show was also from England. So another <laughs> show from England uh, called We Are Lady Parts. Uh, we Are Lady Parts is um, about an all-woman female Muslim punk band in, in London. Uh, it's really, really funny. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it follows a PhD student named Amina Hussein who is uh, convinced to join a Muslim female punk band called Lady Parts as its lead guitarist. Uh, and it is just such a breezy, uh, easy watch, six half-hour episodes. Um, it does a bit, it's a bit like Rami, where if you're Muslim, you get the jokes more, but it, it kind of works as a universal coming of age story too. Uh, it helps that the songs themselves are truly quite hilarious. Uh, and it's it's just like such a, a potent, short, breezy, easy watch. One of my favorite comedies of the year, uh, with one of my favorite ensembles of the year. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I love this this British, uh, well, not not this British, this European, uh, six episode formats. Because you know, Lupin was French also, and it's also six episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. it's just it gets in and out, and you don't really have uh, you don't really have much to complain about. Yeah, yeah, this looks fairly interesting. I just both marked it. I'm definitely gonna catch that. Uh, for sure. Uh, what's your number three? My number three is Master of None season three. Ah, yeah. Master of None season three. Oh, man. I mean, like, we've been big fans of Master of None. Um, you know, since the very, very onset, I think, uh, have we actually talked about it? I don't think no, so. No, we haven't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've never actually talked about Master of None because not quite genre uh, mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, but yeah, really, really love season one and two. I think it's something that we, if we 
we've talked about um, privately in our own kind of like conversations and hangouts. Uh, yep. I really, really like um, what was the subtitle of it again? Moments, moments in love. I think like mm-hmm. Lena Ways and and um, Naomi Aki like delivers like some really great, powerful performances. It is slow, uh, definitely, but like I do feel like it is the most mature of mm. um the seasons that we've gotten so far. Uh, yep. and and like it's it's beautifully shot. It's got great dialogue and just like these moments of 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 like tenderness and tension that are like it's just very solid. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. I'm very very taken by. I think Lena Wave in particular, right? Like she, I don't think I've seen her have the opportunity to flex her acting muscles like this. Um, you know, in in all the other seasons, she's kind of like sidekick, and she plays like a certain type of character, um, well herself. But you you don't you've never seen this side of her, um, mm. in any other role before, which I um, I love. Uh, it really is very very good. I uh, really really did enjoy it, and something very different, right, from the usual yeah. thing that uh, Aziz Ansari brings. Not that I don't like that, but like it's mm. a breath of fresh air within this franchise for sure. Yes, uh, with the exception of like season two, the Thanksgiving episode that Lena Wave wrote and directed. Mm. Uh, yeah, that was like almost a backdoor pilot for the season three. Like, yeah, which is almost an entirely new show. So yeah, that's great. I love that Lena Wave is is getting it. I love that every season of Master of None since seems to have a very different influence to it. Like season one had a very um. American dramedy uh, shooting style, uh-huh. uh, which you see in a lot of the dramedies that we've, we've covered so far. And season two had a had a Italian neo realism, mm. uh, François Truffaut style. Yeah. And this this third season with its static camera shots, uh, very still frames. It's very Ingmar Bergman, very Swedish. Yeah. So I like I like <laughs> like they're trying for like very different stylistic uh, touches for every season, and I'm eager to see what they do next. Yeah. Very 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 cool touch. Uh, speaking of dramedies, my number three is a show called Hack. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I feel is is one of the best new shows of 2021. It uh it navigates the dark mentorship that forms between a legendary Las Vegas comedian uh, played by Jean Smart called uh, Deborah Vance. Uh, she is you know as I mentioned this legendary Las Vegas comedian who sort of started to phone it in because she doesn't care anymore. Uh, until she becomes sort of a mentor to an entitled 25 year old comedy writer who can't find any other job because she got cancelled on Twitter. Um, and, and this plunge into the stand-up comedy scene, you know, it explores a world full of assholes and bullies and martyrs, you know, uh, a world where trauma gets transmuted into laughs. Um, and Hacks is the rare comedy that not only nails its punchlines, but brutally deconstructs the pain, effort, and genius it takes to make jokes land. Uh, Gene Smart and co-star Heine, uh, Hannah Eidbender, I think is how mm, you pronounce the name, yeah. uh, are spectacular in this uh, love letter to the comedy trenches. Uh, also on HBO, so there you go. I seem to have a lot of HBO shows. Yeah, I mean, if HBO is killing it, they're killing it. For sure. Yeah, I didn't even realize that so many HBO shows. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your? Uh, have you seen Hex, by the way? Uh, no, I haven't booked Mark, but I haven't dived into it yet. I I saw the trailer and I was like, okay, this looks like it's gonna be good, and I'm glad to know that uh, hmm. my my sensing of that was right. Um, yeah, yeah. Gene Smart, Gene Smart is always great. She's great in everything. You know, like I'm. I almost hesitate to call it a Gene Smart. Renaissance because <laughs> hasn't hasn't gone away in fifty years, you know. Yeah, it's kind of nuts, it's, right? 
it's just that recently, because we are genre people, right? And we saw Gene Smart sort of reemerge in Legion mm-hmm. and then reemerge again in Watchmen, you know? And it's weird that she picked two very artsy superhero shows to kind of revitalize her career. Yeah. And then, like, she starts to go into more prestige stuff like Hex and Mayor of East Town, you know? And yeah. she's, she's everywhere these days. Like, every time I turn on fucking HBO, Gene Smart is on it. She's on every <laughs> HBO show. Yeah, it's only lovely. Yeah. Mayor of East Town barely made my top five, actually. Um, almost there, right? Yeah, almost there. It was yeah. It's an honorable mention. If you guys want to see more of Gene Smart and Kate, yeah. um, Kate Winslet. Winslet, I was about to say Blanchett for some reason. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, but Kate, Kate Winslet. Yeah. So, uh, what are we up there now? Okay, number two. Number two. Yeah, uh, number two. I'm going to pick Mythic Quest season two. Very nice. Yeah. Um. Well, because we love Mythic Quest and we've already established that. Um, cue you guys back to uh, the episode where we talk about Mythic Quest and their amazing uh, additional episodes that we got for the quarantine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, you know, as always, smartly written, very well performed, um, very sentimental. And I think like building on top of what they did for season one and for the special episode, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, they con- we continue with um, the gang, well, most of them uh, being back uh, after quarantine, everyone's back in the office, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and I like shenanigans continue as well. Like, there's there's a bit too. I don't want to spoil anything, uh, just because like you know, um, it, there's a lot of kind of like twists about what's going on. Um, mm. you know, we are we see kind of like the full uh relationship between ion and 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 poppy as the newly promoted Mm -hmm. co-director within the office space now like the Mm -hmm. we see that kind of unfold uh Mm -hmm. and then yeah um the of more office romance Mm -hmm. uh more unresolved issues on the side of like cw yeah Mm -hmm. and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on and um true to form like you know like it doesn't miss a beat uh still one of my favorite uh workplace comedies Mm-hmm. Um and and just the fact that I think I've spent a lot of a, a lot of like <laughs> this pandemic playing video games, yeah. <laughs> like it, it it's it's good for a laugh, especially if you're a gamer, right? Like we've already said that before. Um, mm-hmm. season two is just more of the same, and it is it's just really fun. Season two, season two is like real specialness. Like what made it really really fucking cool, yeah, is that it it's it spends the majority of the season. Taking down Poppy yeah. and her decisions <laughs> of the like it's easy if you're in. I, I similarly, like, I've been in workplace situations. I see like a boss who's just so full of himself. Yeah, like like Ian is, you know, he's so delusional. Blah blah blah. Everyone thinks you can do a better job. Yeah, you know, and and Poppy is finally given the option and the position to do what <laughs> Ian does. And Poppy quickly discovers that she's not that good. No, or she's, she's not. She, she, she isn't, you know. And, and and the real realization of the season is that Poppy doesn't work without Iron and Iron doesn't work without Poppy. Yep. And the the twist at the end of the season, uh, I mean, I wouldn't reveal it, but it fundamentally changes the show. Yes. Uh, in, in, in a very big way. Uh, of course, you know, like, uh, as is tradition now, I guess, like every mid-season of Mythic Quest uh, delivers a, an incredible one-off um, time uh, time period set piece, yep, you know, a yep. period piece, you know. This time focusing on CW's backstory as a sci-fi writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> again, like it, 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 these one-off mid-season episodes seem to seal the show. Yeah. Uh, from the whole series, yep. and and it's frequently the best part of the show. And again, you know, the CW's backstory uh, flashes out a character that is essentially a one-note joke. <laughs> not, you know. Yeah. And 
until you, like it, it, until you reveal like yeah, heck the, the fucking episodes and it, it's entitled backstory with an exclamation mark yeah and and he is really given a great backstory that flashes him out yeah it's so good I mean Sailor B has always been kind of one of my favorite side characters but for him to be front and center like that and to be given such depth from yeah. just a single episode is just like so funny it's so good like him fucking carrying his uh his uh, Hugo Award right first, <laughs> first episode of the first season yeah you know and it, it makes such a funny gag like sad you now yeah now that you know that he plagiarized uh, Isaac Asimov uh, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> really 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 good uh so yeah that was uh, your number two my number two is uh, a show called Girls Five Ever, uh, yeah. which is not available in Singapore. Actually, it's it's on a streaming service called Peacock. Uh, so you can guess how I got this, but it's a really really good show. Uh, it is a bizarre. I, I don't know what it's bizarre. Yeah, it's fucking bizarre. It's like <laughs> it is. Um, it is. I think you should leave with Tim Robinson. Bizarre. It is. It's produced by the team behind Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Thirty Rock. Yeah. You know, the Tina Fey crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an it's uh, utterly hilarious series and what the best sitcom of 2021 in, in my opinion. Uh, girls Five Ever follows the surviving members of a C-list late 90s girl group. I don't mean Spice Girls level. I don't even mean Atomic Kitten level. It's below that. <laughs> a C-list uh, uh, late 90s girls group who reunite in their 40s to mount a comeback. Uh, the only reason they tried to mount a comeback is because a mumble rapper uh, sampled uh, their hit song and then they kind of return to prominence. You know, there's a lot of memes about them and stuff. And they're yep. like, hey, let's, let's make a comeback. The show is a laugh frenzy. It's packed to the brim with absurdist pop song parodies, mm-hmm. a delirious dialogue, and like these kind of densely constructed jokes that you, it's hard to get used to. I've seen two shows by these writers, like Kimmy Schmidt and Teddy Rock. Mm. I still cannot get used to just how dense the, the, the joke construction is, like how much, how many jokes are within a single line. Yeah. Like you got, you just got to keep pausing every like couple of seconds. It's <laughs> like mentally work out like the acrobatics of that joke, you know? Mm-hmm. So because of that, like it's hard to LOL, but it's, it's one of those like, oh my god, I'm so stupid, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and then like you rewatch it, you find another joke within that joke and it's great. It, it mocks the music industry, it blocks millennial trends, it mocks celebrity culture from every angle oh. uh, imaginable. It's elevated by a really winsome cast. The lead actress uh, is Sarah Bareilles, who you may know is an indie singer-songwriter. Love Sarah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so she plays the, the, the lead character here. Uh also, the, the second co-star is Renee Ellis Goldsbury, who you may know as Angelica from Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, she's a great singer as well. Um, Busy Phillips and Paula Pell are in it. Then like the least talented members of the group, but you know, all girl groups have those like <laughs> members who can't really sing. Uh, yeah, Girls Five Ever is, is weird. It's a pure musical comedy joy that, that feels like I've been like Trust into an alternate reality that I can't quite make sense of, yeah. but works, you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you've uh, if you've heard of Girls Five Ever yet. Uh, I uh, I've seen the trailer. Uh, it piqued my interest basically because like I'm a big fan of Sarah Bareilles. Uh, I wasn't always actually. It was only until like I watched her live. Um, yeah, yeah. She came to Singapore. Yeah. yeah, and like I was just very taken by like her personality and stage banter between songs. Right, mm. like, and of, of course, like, I think her songwriting has changed dramatically since like her first album when when she was discovered. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, just like a big big fan of that, and uh, I saw her in the trailer, and then I saw Angelica in the trailer, and I was just like, okay, you know what? If it's a musical thing, and we've got these two, I'm I'm kind of down. I'm kind of down, you know. And then mm-hmm. you know, Tina Fey, executive producer, 
mm-hmm. yeah, by the same writers of of you know, um, yeah. So like I've had it on my watch list, but again, right, it's not as easily accessible as some of the other stuff on my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I haven't actually touched it yet. Uh, okay, but it's good to know that that there's there's something good there as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think this one is gonna is gonna last so damn the year. So yeah, I'm gonna make you watch it eventually. All right. Uh, so yeah, don't don't worry about that. Yeah, Ghost Forever is is probably gonna be in my top five to the end. It's, okay. it's that good. All right, yeah. all right. Uh, what's your number one? My number one. Oh, I I hate to beat on a dead horse considering this is gonna be the third time I'm talking about it. My number one is Odd Taxi. Yeah. So for the third time, I apologize to you, the people who have heard it. Me bang on about this, and then hit the bang about this, and then me uh, reiterating one more time. Um, it's three straight episodes that we talk about Art Taxi. Yeah, three straight episodes we're talking about Art Taxi because it really is that good, and I yeah. feel uh, remiss if we don't kind of like uh, shout it out because it really isn't getting that much love. Um, mm. And I, I, it's not that it's not good; it's just that it's not typical of anime right like in yeah. general uh it yeah. is a very very long time when you get these kind of like high ooh, this is this is my big, big kind of, like this this is high art anime right like you're not going to get this uh very very often uh, there are very very few that are like it just in terms of like the writing the pacing the plot the storytelling the the voice acting the music like all of it isn't grand it isn't epic it is it doesn't have you know like this incredible like violent fights but it is charming and it is um absolutely compelling if you give it a chance right uh yeah. S, uh yeah so i've i'm i'm putting it in this list because i want to elevate it past just the realm of anime that we yeah. tend to keep these things into with the exception of like the big, the new big tree, right? Your, your Shonen, your My Hero, your Jujutsu Kaisen, uh, your Demon Slayer and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Every once in a while, an unknown gem just kind of like surfaces uh, from the yeah. realms of anime into great TV. And I think Odd Taxi deserves to be shouted out again for the third mm. time in three in episodes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 100% agree. Odd Taxi would have made my top five as well if Isa hadn't like already put it in his. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, one of the best enemies of this season. Uh, absolutely strong like season. Uh, year for anime actually. Oh yeah, you know, I, absolutely. I've already talked about To Your Eternity and all of that at length. You can listen to the previous genre if you want to hear my thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, also over the past day, uh, I spent six hours and I finished uh Wonder Egg Priority, which I think believes in the S tier of this. Oh platform. yeah, Wonder Egg Priority is so good. <clears throat> it's it's very very good. It's very very good. Like there is a special episode that just launched. Uh, they just dropped this week, mm-hmm. yep. which. <laughs> kind of ruined the show for me. Uh, I didn't. I didn't like it. But if you want to take the special episode out of the season, because it's, yeah. it's not really part of the season, right? It's not. Like it, it, it's one of those OVA things that they drop just to kind of like boost. Uh, like okay, so anime is really about DVD sales, right? Like the yeah. special packages and all of that. That's how they make the bulk of their money in order to be able to fund or, or you know at least convince the studios to make more. Uh, yeah. And you always need to have like special episodes that are packed into the DVD. Um, you know, and and all, all, clearly, um, the 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 quality of production and storytelling and all that varies very wildly from from franchise to franchise. So it's one of those, right? Uh, and like, eh, eh, mm. like I I think you you're right. Like it does actively spoil the series, 
Um, a bit. Some of the revelations also retroactively make some things less meaningful. Yeah. Uh, and also the fact that of the 44-minute episodes, 30 minutes was a recap. It's a bit ridiculous, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. mean, like, it's just it's just part of the industry, not one that I particularly enjoy. Uh, yeah. Most of the time, like, when, when I'm talking about, like, uh, the best series and stuff like that, I will tend to leave out anything that's not important to the mainline. Um, mm. You know? Uh, so, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, but if you're talking about just the 12th like season, uh, 12 episode season of One Day Priority, marvelous. You know, one of the one of the best of the year as yeah, well. Solid, so, solid yeah, solid, solid stuff. Got to shout that out. Uh, my number one is For All Mankind season two. Ooh. Uh, it is a sci-fi series from Ronald D. Moore, who is best known for Deep Space Nine, who's best known for Battlestar Galactica, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a meticulously crafted alt history that imagines what would happen if it was the Soviets who landed the first man on the moon. Uh, the first season of For For All Mankind, I reviewed it on genre equality, was wildly yep. ambitious, also very uneven. Uh, thankfully, this second season is a stellar improvement. It takes full advantage of the what if scenarios yep. uh, alongside the compelling workplace drama at NASA. Uh, the characters now feel specific and three dimensional, uh, which in turn makes the show's interpersonal dynamics vastly more interesting. Which is why For All Mankind sort of soars uh, this season. You know, its final three to four episodes. I'm gonna say like its final back half of the season, right? Mm-hmm. Like. The five episodes stretch all the way to the finale. Yeah, it's like if I were to list like the five best episodes of the year, it would be like those five episodes. It's Damn, just like, you know, it's one of the best closes to a, a show I've ever seen. Uh-huh. You know, like sometimes you gotta wait. Like I mean, we're talking about Loki, right? Like you gotta wait <laughs> until like the last like episode or the last two episodes. You know, but then like the midway point feels like you're hitting like high gear, uh-huh. and it's just like nonstop thrilling. Like from episode five all the way to episode ten, it's yeah. just like it feels like. A five-hour movie that just builds and builds and builds and builds that you can't stop watching. It's incredible. It's one of the best five-episode stretches I've ever seen. Nice. Uh, yeah. That. Uh, yeah. For All Mankind is just marvelous. One of one of the best TV shows yeah. now lah that I've seen. Uh, it's a bit sad that in season one, uh, when I recommend to people, like people tend to drop off like middle of season one. Yeah, I dropped like, off after three episodes, but I mean. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I I yeah. I know a lot of shows like that. You know, Agents of Shield, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, like two of our favorite shows, like have not strong season ones. Yep, yeah, for sure. But I mean, it, it it's good to know. It, it's good to know that like you know it it's picked up and is it's bring. I'm definitely going to, I I will put up with season one because we've been there, we've done that, and a lot of the time, more often than not, it tends to be worth it for for series like this. Um, mm. so yeah, I'm definitely putting that back on my list. Oh god. Yeah. Uh admittedly like the last two episodes of season one are are like really, really good as well. Uh. Like it's really like towards the end of season one when it starts to pick up. Yeah. Um it's a Ronald D. Moore kind of I mean the guy comes from Star Trek. It's <laughs> it's it's a kind of a Star Trek thing. Like he takes like you take one full season to really get your footing. Yeah. Uh and I know like these Star Trek guys, you know, Brian Fullers and Ronald D. Moore, the, the guys who came up from that camp. Uh, yeah. Uh tend, tend to have like shaky season ones. And mm. then like season two like goes like fire. So I, I I give them a bit of a, a bit of a runway to to let them to let them grab me. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely gonna give it another uh, shot. Uh. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks to talk about some of the hidden gems of the year. Yeah. Um, lots of good stuff that didn't get awards recognition, but I I wish it did. There's a French film called Rocks, mm-hmm. uh, which is legitimately my number one film of the year. Um, no disrespect to the four films that we just talked about. Like Rocks is the best. Uh, number two would be Kovadis Ada, and then it would be like the four films that we talked about. Um, Shiva Baby is such a weird film. <laughs> okay. So fucking weird. It's uh, it's a comedy that is more like a horror film. Um, 
you 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 know it when you see it, lah. Uh, okay. It's 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 fucking bizarre. Collective, in my opinion, should have won best documentary at the Oscars. It's a shame that it didn't. It's a Romanian uh, documentary mm-hmm. uh, that just keeps. Uh, it, you know those journalism documentaries that like you wait until the end and there's like one or two big reveals when they uncover the conspiracy. Yeah. You know, like Collective has like I kid you not like six or seven big what the fuck things that they discover. That Ooh. just keeps it just keeps getting more mind blowing with every <laughs> discovery. You know, like like. Like twenty minutes into the film, right? Like you would think, like, oh yeah, this is the big conspiracy, right? And then it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper until you're just like, what the fuck is wrong with Romania, guys? You know, that kind of. Thing. <laughs> um, but the climb is, I don't know. I like I I honestly shouldn't be putting the climb here, but it 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 made me so happy watching the film that I I just couldn't. It's one of those like, I objectively know that there are flaws with it, but I love it so much because uh, like it's. It's the things that are good about it are so good. Yeah, I just had to put it here. Like there are a lot of films better than the climb, but I can't wait to see what you think of it because I know there are there are issues with the climb, like, and we're gonna get into it. Yeah, for sure. But what makes it so good also makes it like uh over compensates for the flaws. So we'll get into that uh in a couple of weeks. And then genre equality forty four happens. We got Loki. We got Black. Uh, not Black Widow. I want to <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you know. Uh so those are our two big topics, Masters of the Universe. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh Space Jam 2, which does not look good. I'm sorry. Uh, uh yeah. yeah, and lots of other things. True Hunters, the movie also comes out. So yeah, a big episode of genre coming up. Um we have a few big episodes for you coming up, so can't wait to talk about all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff coming out yeah. of the range, guys. So uh keep in tune. If you are watching on YouTube or listening on YouTube, brother, please um hit like if you like the episode. Uh, and hit subscribe if you haven't already, just so that um, we actually release stuff a bit earlier than we post on our Facebook. So if mm. you are subscribed to either our Mixcloud or our YouTube, you will get the episodes a couple of days earlier. Uh, yeah, if that incentivizes yeah. you. Um, it really helps us out in terms of the mm-hmm. YouTube algorithm. You know, um, it's its own hustle. So yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. But thank you guys for listening. And yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, till then, this has been Hit Zero. I'm Isa. Subscribe, guys. Goodbye. Yeah.